Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both our partners are quadriplegics, and after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. So you must be thinking, what is the goal with this group? Our goal is and has always been to establish and nurture a strong network of women around the world who understand and support one another while navigating the SCI life. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission with this podcast is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the WAGS of SEI podcast. Here we go. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases. And they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay. Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WAGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WAGS of SCI sent you. This episode is sponsored in part by Camp Possibility. Camp Possibility is a one-week adapted camp for young adults aged 18 to 40 who have spinal cord injuries and their partners. This camp takes place in Martinsville, Indiana and runs from August 1st to 6th, 2021. Registration begins February 1st and there are limited spots available. For more information, visit www.camppossibility.org. That's Camp Possibility or email Lauren at camppossibility.org. You can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, or you can contact us at wagsofsei at gmail.com and we'd be happy to connect you. Hurry as registration begins February 1st until all 24 spots are filled. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Brooke Paget and Elena Pauly. Thank you for joining us today, everybody. So today we have one of our ambassadors, Ashley Layerla. She is the wife to Jacob and mama to Liberty. She's a dog fanatic and sushi lover. 
So she's navigating marriage, motherhood, and the veteran administration while still maintaining a sense of self. That's huge. Her IVF journey has created her to be a warrior and an IVF vet advocate. So welcome today, Ashley. Hello. We are so happy to have you on. You have been an OG WAG since the beginning of time. You have been part of our team, and we so deeply appreciate and love you for being a part of this group. You've provided so, so much support to so many women um, in the VA and not, and we just can't thank you enough for that. And I'd like to point out that Ashley is also a very, very important part of our private Facebook discussion group. Um, she is a moderator alongside Allison Heidi, but she is the one that is moderating the posts, always advocating, always participating with all the ladies. And yeah, we, we can't thank you enough for all your help, Ashley. You, you make everyone's lives better. So I would like to start off our podcast today. We're doing a little bit, something a little bit different for 2021. Um, we we want to read out a quote that will have our listeners as well as the three of us, hopefully gearing a little bit of a conversation around and a little bit of food for thought. So today I picked a really great quote. It's called Believe, Believe. So believe, accept something as true, feel sure of the truth of. You unconsciously create experiences that match what you believe about yourself and others. So ask yourself these questions often. What do I believe about myself and about my life? Is what I believe truly serving who I want to be in the world? Be mindful of what you accept as the truth. Because you become what you believe for better or for worse. Ladies, what are some of your thoughts around this quote? Well, I don't know about you, Ashley, but um, I definitely, you know, struggle with a project, like what you think is what you project. And I feel like it's hard to wrap your head around that. And I feel like it took me literally, I, w- I would probably say 10 years to like really, really get that. Um, but I also find, find like there's a lot of pressure in society um, to always be, you know, happy and joyful. And, um, you know, even when you have problems, just cover them up and everything's fine. I think social media is a big culprit that has made that kind of into our reality in this generation, in this social generation. Um, so I feel like society skewed that a little bit. I don't know. What do you think, Elena? Well, it's that same conversation that you and I have quite often around toxic positivity, where, you know, I mean, it's really great to be positive, but it's also really great to embrace some of the challenges that you go to go through. And especially with 2021, um, you know, in the midst of of getting us in a different perspective from 2020, I think that there's a big shift happening in the world and happening between relationships, between friends, between family, and a very interpersonal level as well as um, instead of thinking that the challenging situations that you are going through as being a negative thing, 
maybe start thinking of it as like necessary. It's part of your journey. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the challenging without like the great celebration at the end of that. So I definitely, I agree with you when, you know, it's tough to retrain the circuits in your brain when you have certain ideas and thoughts about yourself. Um, I, I do believe that you can retrain yourself. Um, so this little book that I'm reading from, is a year of positive thinking there's a little quote each morning and i think it's kind of like just to change that like neuroplasticity in your brain and and create new belief systems is so crucial but it's such hard work it totally is (laughs) yeah so you have to you know you just start with little bits and pieces and i think we've talked about this a little bit with our wags of sei workout group where you know um We've been all going on little walks. We've been going for walks daily or a few times a week. And it's just, again, putting one foot in front of the other, believing that you can go for a short walk, whether it's like five, 10 minutes or whether it's an hour, you just start doing the little stuff and your brain and your body follows, right? And then before you know it, you believe that you can go for that walk and you've accomplished that walk and then you feel great. Ashley, I know you've been very, very open um, and honest with a lot of our followers and with us about your struggles with uh, mental health. Um, What are your views on toxic positivity or like positive thinking? Um, So I I have a unique situation. I I had a lot of childhood trauma, um, a very, I won't say atypical upbringing. I feel like I grew up with a lot of kids who had the same kind of stressors in their life that I had, but I feel overall it was atypical for most family units. And um, I didn't actually realize that I had anxiety, depression, and an undiagnosed panic disorder until I was in my mid twenties. Wow. I just always thought that like feeling hopeless and like feeling like an outcast and just like not fitting in with other people was like the normal thing. Um, it wasn't until I was at work one day and I, I always cried a lot at work and my coworkers were always like, it's not that serious. (laughs) Like what's going on with you? And then finally I had a coworker who pulled me aside. She's like, I don't want to like overstep any boundaries or anything. She's like, but I feel like you should like talk to someone. Like it's really not normal to like take everything to heart. You know what I mean? Like she's like, there are just some things in life that aren't that serious. And I just, I don't think it's normal to, for, to evoke such an emotional reaction from you. And of course I went to the doctor the doctor's like, okay, here's some medication. Good luck. And then like you go back for a follow-up and like, even though I didn't feel better, even though I didn't feel like anything had changed, like I felt pressured to be like, oh yeah, it's working. Like I'm better now. Um, And I tried going to therapy at that point as well and, like, just didn't have a good therapist, didn't click, that kind of thing. So I didn't keep up with it. Um, And then I'd been on several different antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And, like, like I said, I never felt better. I never felt like it was doing. So I was like, well, maybe everything that's going on is just situational. Maybe I don't have this chemical imbalance in my brain that I think that I have. And that's why the medicine doesn't work. And then I stopped taking medication when we were going through IVF. Um, That was just a personal choice that I had decided to make. Um, 
And then after my daughter was born, I had like a touch of postpartum depression and anxiety. It, it definitely wasn't severe. Most of what I was feeling was still just my generalized anxiety and depression disorder. Um, so when I went back to the doctor and said, okay, I, I got to go back on medication because I'm missing out on so much of my daughter's life. I feel like, like I'm just sitting on the sidelines. Um, she was like, well, let's do this thing called gene site testing. Um, had no idea what it was. Didn't know it was a thing. I have no idea why it's not industry standard practice. Um, they swab your mouth, they send it off. It will come back and it will tell them what medications work with your genes and what medications don't as far as anxiety and depression. And it turns out that all these different medications that I had been on all these years, the reason I never felt better was because they didn't work with my genes. My body was metabolizing them so fast that they were never getting to a therapeutic level. Um, so they were able to put me on a medication that does work with my body. And I can honestly say now, I will say it did take probably the full three months of being on medication, but I would say where I am now today, I feel like a completely different human being than I have felt like most of my life. And all it took was a mouth swab and getting me on the correct medication. Isn't that interesting? That is so cool. And so, and you feel so much different now than you did beforehand. When do you feel like you're, you're better understood now? Yeah, I, I, I have a good therapist now. I've had a good therapist for a couple of years now. Um, and so I do a lot of work there as well as taking the medication, but it's just, mm -hmm. it's just different how much easier things are like take weight and exercise and that sort of thing into consideration. Cause we want to do another transfer, um, this coming fall, but I'm severely overweight for years. I've struggled and struggled and struggled. At one point I was able to get down to a healthy weight. And then I met Jake and life happened and all that things. And I gained all of it back plus some, but I just always would like start and stop or give up or just, I never really had like the dedication or the willpower or the right mindset to do it. And now that things are balanced in my brain, it's just easy. Like I'm not emotionally eating. I'm not ignoring my body like when my body tells me I'm full I stop eating like it's just become much easier to be in tune with my body and what I'm actually feeling like I don't feel the need to snack all the time like I have the energy to like get up and take a walk and like before like if Jake would have encouraged me to go to the gym like I would have been like no I'm too tired I'm not going to do it I don't feel like doing it today I'll do it another day like it was just always something and now I'm not like fighting that internal struggle with myself, if that makes sense. So do you find like you have a bit more awareness? Like, is there, I'm, you know, I always find this topic interesting because I too, um, and I've shared this quite openly, have, have been on medication myself for quite a while from, from just the things that I went through, through adoption and living in a different country and whatnot. Um, and I find that sometimes you just need that something to to create this body mind connection. And I talk 
talk about this quite often. Like sometimes going for walks, I, I won't listen to music because I just want to be really connected in the present. And sometimes that's what for at least for myself, I don't know about you, is that awareness, like that that awareness as a whole body and mind within your own like flesh vessel that is your body, you know? Um, I feel like sometimes it's really easy to be disconnected, especially in our world with so much social media, with so much media in general and everything going on right now, that it's really easy to be disconnected from who you really are. Well, what we what we talk about frequently in therapy is I just have the type of personality where like I'm always thinking to the future. I'm always thinking when things are better, when this happened, you know, like I always, I have a real hard time being present in the moment. Um, it's very easy for me to just, I have a flat mindset. I don't really know how to describe it about what's going on in the present because I'm always just projecting into the future. Like in the future, things will be better. I'll be successful. I'll figure out what I want to be when I grow up, like just all these things. And so I just have to constantly be reminded, like you need to focus on what's going on in front of you today and stop letting yourself get overwhelmed with what's in the future, if that makes any sense. So yeah. And it's like, that's part of retraining, right? That is the, that is the work that is retraining. And, you know, I'll tell you from my perspective as someone, especially over the past two years who, who has been consciously trying to retrain my mind and body from a state of constant stress and constant panic from, you know, my partner's accident and caregiving in the first year and a half. Um, it's really, really challenging challenging work because once you get used to a way of being for your whole life and then all of a sudden when you want to change it your body doesn't like that it'll fight back your mind doesn't like that it'll fight back and it's just so challenging to try and become the person that you want to be and so I can really relate to what you're saying Ashley because I feel like it's not just a daily struggle, it's a minute by minute struggle. When you've been conditioned and your whole life and all of society, 90% of society or 99% of society is so focused on the future and acquiring things and this is where you should be and this is what you should buy and this is, you know, what you should be doing that it's just it's so overwhelming to be in the present which is how humans should be, <laughs> right? Well, and I don't know if everyone feels this way, but I know like when I was a small child, like I felt like a day took forever. Like time seems oh, like absolutely. It was so slow. And like now that I'm an adult, I'm like, holy crap, a whole year went by. What the heck happened? Like what? <laughs> um, and so then like you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I just like existed for a whole year. Like I didn't. I didn't accomplish anything. I didn't do anything. I, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I guess I have a lot of regret about that. Like I'm in my thirties now. And like, I just spent so much of my life just like coasting by, um, because I wasn't living in the present. I was just always waiting for that next better thing. You know, what's interesting is I just read an article about this, um, literally last week about how, when you are older and every year gets faster and faster and faster and that causes a lot of panic in people and how you're talking about when you were a child, the day went so quickly and they were explaining 
you know, the phenomenon of why that is. Um, They're explaining that it has to do with that childlike wonder where you haven't experienced the conditioning and the experiences and people telling you things and the way you grew up and you haven't developed that ego side of yourself when you're young. You're just learning to see the world and you're seeing it like you're seeing it for a first time for everything. And it struck a chord with me because there's a lot of like, you know, people from Deepak Chopra to a whole bunch of experts that talk about if you can focus on one thing, it's finding that childlike wonder in your everyday activities and finding a way to have that same viewpoint as a child, but in your adult life. And that will bring you to the present. I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Yeah, that is. And I mean, like, if we think about it, time is relative. Everything around us is relative. The longer you're on this planet, the more you have to compare to, like, your days become shorter because you have more time, right, overall. So we always like to get a little philosophical at the very beginning of our podcast. We like to have a little food for thought. So we hope that this kind of triggers some thoughts for you guys as well. Now, Ashley, to get back to who you are and your story, can you take us back to how you met Jake, when you met Jake, what you were doing and, and your life, how it began um, and your journey with Jake began? So I think that Jake and I actually have a pretty common beginning, at least for my generation these days. So um, I was just a mid-20 working professional. I was working 60 to 80 hours a week. I lived by myself with my dogs. I was a crazy dog lady. Um, I dated and stuff, but I hadn't had a serious long-term relationship since high school. Like I dated the same guy for five years in high school, then I went away to college and um, things didn't work out there, but, um, I just, for a variety of reasons, I had never met anyone that anything long-term had developed from. I didn't have a lot of time today. I just, I had some, uh, I don't know if like snobbies the word, um, but I was very picky too. Like, I just, I don't know. I probably wrote off a lot of nice guys that, were perfectly fine people over some random snippet in their online dating profile. <laughs> I was pretty ruthless when I would weed through things. Um, That's good though. So, That's good to be particular, right? Cause you got the right yeah. guy now. <laughs> well, and you know, it was so funny because um, Jake um, never had a girlfriend ever before he got injured. And then he'd only had one relationship after being injured and he had no desire to date (laughs) wasn't even on his radar he had this slogan born alone die alone like that was just his plan for life um and his friends were like no no like you need to date you need to get out there you need you need to do all these things so like they had actually made his dating profile for him and so like they had sent me the first message not jake um, I remember, his, I remember looking at his profile and I was like, oh, he's in a wheelchair. That's odd. Cause I had no experience with anyone in a wheelchair. Um, and so like I wrote back to be nice because I had like this mentality in my mind. Like if I blow this guy off or I just 
say no, like he's going to assume it's because of the wheelchair and like, I don't want to be one of those girls. Um, so we kept talking and then like right away he was like, Oh, let's meet up for dinner. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. And then I was like really unsure about it. Like I had multiple conversations with people at work and with friends and I was just like, I don't know. He's in a wheelchair. I don't know if I should do, you know what I mean? I said, I had no experience. I guess in my head, like, I thought people in wheelchairs were like different. I I don't know how to phrase it. Like just, I don't know. Now I know that Jake is just a guy in a wheelchair, like nothing different Mm -hmm. about, you know what I mean? Like disability just had like the stigma around it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm-hmm. What do you think the Same. biggest hesitation was? Um, I think it was just the unknown. Um, and so we went out for sushi for our first date. He was really funny. We had a great time. Um, he was also very attentive. I feel like when you like talk to people online dating, like people have a tendency to like ghost you and stuff. Because, like, you don't really know these people. And so it's, like, easy to just, like, completely disappear if you're not interested in them or vice versa. And it's also easy for people to not put a lot of commitment into it. Um, But he was just, I don't know, he was so good at, like, texting and stuff like that. And, like, he immediately was like, oh, you love dogs. I love dogs. You have dogs. I have dogs. Like, for our next date, why don't we meet up at a park and we can walk our dogs? So we went to the park on our second date. We walked our dogs. And, like, we were walking around. We were having a great time. And, like, I was asking him some questions, even though there were, like, more personal questions I wanted to ask. But, like, you know, like, if you were dating an able-bodied person, you wouldn't be like, so, does your wiener work? You know what I mean? Like, you would never ask. (laughs) Are you sure you wouldn't ask? (laughs) I'm sure like you, you just wouldn't ask this thing. So like, we're just walking and talking and it's like, he knew he's like, just ask. I'm like, ask what? He's like, I know you want to ask. So you should just ask it. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, you want to know if my wiener works. And I was like, yeah, like I've had that thought, but I was never going to ask you that. And he's like, yes, the answer is yes. Even my grandma has asked me that question. He's like, that's like the first thing everyone wants to know when you're in a wheelchair is if your wiener works. <laughs> Weeder. <laughs> so then we're like, we're walking, we, we were having a great time. Like, he like brought a picnic lunch, all that stuff. And then, um, when I first met Jake, he like wore jeans. He never wears jeans now. Would like, I'd have to fight him to get him in a pair of jeans. But like, he did it when we first started dating because he thought that was like the normalized thing for a regular person to do. Like, he thought, oh, she won't like me if I wear basketball shorts. So I got to put on these uncomfortable jeans. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, I'm going to go over here and pee on this tree. And we're at a public park, mind you. I'm like, what? I was, like, horrified. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go pee on that tree. <laughs> and he, like, pulled up his jeans and, like, showed me his leg bag. And I was like, uh, this just opened a whole new can of questions. <laughs> what is going on? He's like, oh, I have a neurogenic bladder like I pee into this bag he's like have you ever been in a public restroom at a park like I'm not gonna wheel in there it's disgusting like my hands are gonna touch the ground that everyone's peed on like I'm just gonna go empty my bag on this tree um 
That's so, like, it, was really, it was really eye-opening to me because I never, like, I didn't know what a bow program was. I didn't, I didn't know what any of that stuff was. Um, but he was just very open and very candid. And I don't know, I guess I appreciated that because it took the awkwardness away from me. Because like I said, a lot of the information he volunteered, like I would have never been brave enough to ask him. And then um, on our third date, we went to the zoo. We both loved the zoo. Um, and I feel like our generation especially, you kind of live in this like twilight zone where you never know if you're in a relationship with someone or if you're official like there's no official will you be my boyfriend girlfriend are we really dating are we just hanging out are we just hooking up like what are we doing um and so we're driving to the zoo and he looks over and he goes so are we boyfriend and girlfriend and like I didn't know what to say because no one had like asked me that since high school because like I said in the world of online dating and like our generation like you don't have those kinds of important conversations and so like I was like yeah I guess if you want to he's like yeah I want to so like we agreed that we were like boyfriend and girlfriend it was so cute um and then uh the fourth date, he invited me over to his house, and I hadn't been to his house yet, um, and I didn't know what to expect. We knew that he couldn't get in my house because I lived in a very old, like, 1940s. Um, if you're a little too chunky, you, you just probably won't fit the doorway through the doorway kind of house. Um, <laughs> and so I came over to his house, and he was living your typical bachelor life, and all he had was recliners. So he sat in one recliner and I sat in the other recliner and we watched this terrible movie. And then um, <laughs> I left. And then the next time I came over to his house, this man had went out and bought a couch so that he could sit next to me and that I didn't uh... have to sit in the recliner. Like, so that we weren't separated. I don't know. He just That is uh, really sweet, Ashley. That's so I, sweet. He's just, I don't know. Part of me thinks it is the wheelchair, but part of it is just who he is. But he just put forth so much effort compared to any other person I'd ever dated in my entire life. Like, I have dogs, right? I had four dogs. So it's not easy for me to just willy-nilly go and do what I want because I have these creatures that depend on me. And so it wasn't long. Like he went and bought crate, like a second set of crates for my dogs to have crates at his house. He started asking, he was like, Oh, cause he had a huge fenced in backyard. I mean, I had a fenced in yard too, but it was nothing like his. He was like, why don't you just leave the dogs here on like a Sunday night when I would go to work on Monday. And he's like, they can just play in the backyard and have a great time. It'd be fun. Um, and to me, to the woman's heart, like, if someone had kids, it, to me, it's, like, the equivalent of, like, taking someone's kids in under your wings. Like, oh, he loves my dogs as much as I do. So, I don't know. It was it was our love of dogs. That's what brought us together. That's why we have nine dogs now. Um, so, yeah, we met online. Um, he wasn't a serial killer. Um, 
and the rest is pretty much history. We had a very short dating period, I guess, compared to a lot of people. But people always say it, and it sounds weird, like, you know when you know, but you know. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to quantify that, but um, I moved in with Jake. I met him in April, and I think I moved in in July. Um, Super crazy fast. Like, everyone thought we were insane. I was going to ask what your family thought of the situation. Um, so my family actually didn't really have anything to say about the wheelchair. My family comes from a long line of military and, um, they consider themselves to be very patriotic and stuff. So I think they were just kind of in love with the fact that Jake was a veteran, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Um, So I, I never had any of. I've never had any pushback on my side of my family. They all love Jake. In fact, if anything ever happened to our relationship, they'd probably want to keep Jake instead of me. <laughs> um, now, I won't go into too much of it, obviously, but Jake's family, though, obviously had a vastly different reaction. Um, and then we got engaged in September of the year that we met, and then we got married the next April. So just a little less than a year from when I met him, I married him. But here we are coming up on our fourth wedding anniversary and we have a baby now. So um, when you know, you know. How did you... Yeah, that's really amazing. How did you get um, used to being someone that may need to provide some care for him? Did you find like you were just you you understood right away or you wanted to do it right away or what was that whole situation like um i well i fell into the trap that i think that most people fall into um because we have this issue even now out in public like i wanted to do everything for him um because i thought it was the nice thing to do um he tried to keep me sheltered for a long long time from as much of what he could. Um, but it was mm, a little before we got married, he started having a lot of bowel program issues. Um, and his quality of life just changed very drastically, very fast. And it just got to a point where he couldn't hide things. I mean, we'd had things before, like before I lived with him, like he would come and pick me up from work and take me to lunch and then take me back to work. And there were like, there were a few times he had to randomly cancel on me or whatnot. And like, he wouldn't tell me why he always just said, Oh, I had a cripple emergency. Um, but I never really knew what that meant for a long time. I didn't realize cripple emergency meant that he'd had an accident. And so then you have to do a brow program and clean up and clean up the mess and like do all this stuff. Um, And it's taken a long time for us to find balance Um, because he's always felt very strongly that even though I do some caregiving for him, I'm his wife first and foremost, not his caregiver. Um, And it's very important to him that I don't just feel like a caregiver. And he is great about making sure that he does whatever he can in his power to not just make me feel like caregiving is my only purpose in his life. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that I think all of us WAGs have to balance is, and Brooke has said it so eloquently um, in a post recently, is saying, you know, that caregiving, you are on a shift and then you need to know how to balance a caregiving shift as well as your partner and your love life and, you know, being a mother and being a friend and going on date nights and all of the other things that encompass the WAGs of SCI lifestyle. I mean, we've learned to laugh a lot of things off. Like, on the, we host foreign exchange students typically. We don't have this one year. This one, we don't have one this year because of the pandemic. Um, but our very first boy we ever had, um, we were coming home from Indianapolis or coming back from Cincinnati, and um, Jake wasn't feeling well. So, like, if you or I aren't feeling well, we can just be like, oh, stop off at this gas station. I need a minute. Um, It obviously doesn't work that way for them. And so um, he looked at me and he, you know, he had that fear in his eyes, like something bad is about to happen. And we have a car full of teenagers because it was our foreign exchange student, my husband's teenage brother, and one of our foreign exchange students' friends. So, and it was cold that day. So Jake like rolls down the window and of course the kids start complaining, what's going on? Why'd you roll down the windows? Jake's like, don't worry about it. We just gotta. And then finally he was like, you know what guys, I had an accident. And the kids are like, what? He's like, he used the S word. He's like, I S'd my pants. I don't know what you guys, I, 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 you know, I mean, like we were just kind of thrust in that, like now we have to explain to these teenagers who barely understand what a spinal cord injury is to begin with, that people with spinal cord injuries don't go to the bathroom the same way regular people do. And so um, we've just learned to laugh about that. And now, like, we're much more open with people. Like, before, everything was a cripple emergency. He was very secretive about it. Um and he finally just got to a place where he's comfortable and now he's much more open about it. If that, I got to stop saying if that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. It absolutely, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And that's something <laughs> that every, all of us, I think, kind of try to figure out how to navigate that, especially when we're with friends and family and, you know, things go a little sideways. Um, that, you know, it's, it's like that very delicate fine line between, do I explain it? Do I have the energy to explain it? Or do I be honest? Or do I keep it to myself? Or it's just a very interesting space to navigate. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we like to talk about a lot in our podcasts and in our messaging and a lot of, you know, wags out there would agree when we say vulnerability brings closeness, um, and it's, it's really hard for men to be vulnerable, um, especially in today's generation. I don't think it's going to, as I've said before, I don't think it's going to be as big of a, an issue for, you know, people that are being born now. Um, but how do what do you, what do you think about that? Do you feel like his vulnerability brought you guys even more closer? Yeah. Like I said, we, I mean, I'm not going to say that like, I don't get annoyed like if we're like laying in bed and he was like too lazy to change his calf and now I have a mess to clean up or whatever. I'm not going to say that I don't get annoyed, but um, we both take it in stride better than we used to. Like one of the first times I ever spent the night with him before I lived with him and he had a calf leak and like he literally laid in it all night because 
he he was he like felt embarrassed to like have to wake me up and be like oh hey I need your help changing my sheets because this you know what I mean so I mean and I think a lot of that just comes with the maturity and the longer you're in a relationship with someone and the more comfortable you get with them the less those kind of things bother you um right so just having that acceptance like everyone poops you know there's a book there's a children's book that's called everybody poops did you know that (laughs) i read it to one of my girlfriends i remember i was hanging out with one of my girlfriends who has a little girl and she had a sleepover and her friend was making fun of her because she farted i guess and she came downstairs and she was just in tears so what did i do i was like you know what let's look it up online and i found this children's book that says everybody poops and i read it to both of them And I was like, guess what? It's not that unusual. You know, you have to kind of like add a little humor and a little bit of like conversation around it because we're all human. Everybody has the same bodily functions. It's just maybe it looks a little differently when you have a spinal cord injury. And yeah, I think a lot of these guys use humor as well. Like you were talking about, um, clearly Jake has an excellent sense of humor. Um, the peeing on the, the book, the tree thing was just like, (laughs) so funny. Um, but I feel like humor does really lighten things up. Right. Like, I feel like that's really important to kind of, I don't know, get you used to everything by using humor instead of being so serious. Well, and I just, I always try to have the mindset like if he if he could do anything differently about it than he would. I mean, no one wants to feel bad about things that they can't control. Um, and so for a long time, I just had to constantly like remind myself, like, don't get upset. Don't overreact. Don't make right. it a big deal. It's, do what needs to be done and move on because like you said, no one wants to feel infantile. And so, you know, it just, it takes a lot of, I mean, like I know there are some able-bodied couples, like they would never even consider like going into the bathroom. Like if their significant other was using the bathroom and for Jake, his bowel routine just, took so long that like it wasn't uncommon after a while like I would just go hang out while he was in the bathroom I know you've been really open about it in the past um the struggles that you've had and that he's had with his bell program do you want to get into you know your story with that um and what happened with with Jake so yeah uh so a few months before we got married he started having a lot of intestinal issues So there are some people with spinal cord injuries. I think they can still feel the urge to go and they can still just void whenever they need to. But for like Jake and his level of injury, they basically trained his body to go at a certain time every other day. Um, And it had been like that for years. And then all of a sudden, like he was just going to the bathroom when it wasn't his scheduled time. And we couldn't figure out why the doctors couldn't figure out why, like we were trying all these things. I mean, basically they just give you a list and you start working down the list to see, um, what, if anything makes a difference. Um, 
I had a colonoscopy, got so bad that they were basically every six months or so, like they were giving him um, the go lightly, the the mixture that you drink before you have a colonoscopy to kind of like wipe his system to like reboot it. He started getting blockages. He ended up in the emergency room. Um, he basically got to where he couldn't leave the house. Um, because his body had just become so unpredictable that we never knew what was going to set him off. He was scared to eat almost anything. Um, it was just a really unpleasant time in our life. And he was very depressed and very unhappy because he had no control. There was nothing we tried was fixing it. Um, but every time we would bring up um, potentially getting an ostomy. Like he just had this mental roadblock. No, I don't want to do that. That's terrible. Why would anyone do that? I'm never doing that. Um, and we had a lot, a lot of hard conversations like this. Is this how we really want to live the rest of our life? Like just being trapped at home because we can't go anywhere because your body's so unpredictable. I mean, we had a few vacations, like we went to Disney once and we spent the entire Disney vacation in the hotel room because his intestines decided to get off track and we spent the entire week trying to get things back to normal. We would be like, okay, we're safe. We would get to the park, something would happen and we'd have to go back to the hotel room. It was just really miserable. And then um, when I got pregnant, I had this crazy irrational fear, especially because it was during COVID. Um, Cause you were allowed to have one support person, but if they had to leave, they couldn't come back. Well, you can't really control when a baby comes, <laughs> especially during COVID because they're not scheduling like elective inductions and things like that. And so like, I was so fearful, like we're going to get to the hospital. And then right before she comes, like he's going to have to leave to go do a bowel program. Like I was like physically sick thinking about that. Um, it ended up working out well and we didn't have any crisis like that. But after she was born and we got home from the NICU and we got into a routine, like he quickly realized that spending four ish hours every other day in the bathroom um, really wasn't conducive to having children, especially when there's a newborn and I needed a lot of support because I was exclusively pumping and just, all that postpartum stuff that comes with having a baby, he really felt like he was letting me down because he was spending 16 plus hours a week in the bathroom. And so he was like, you know what? I know I said I would never do it, but I want to get the ostomy done. Like it was a decision he had to come to on his own. Like no amount of encouragement that I had given him in the past was enough. Um, but he said, you know, I just have this fear, like, we're going to take our daughter to Disney and she's not going to have a good time because we're going to be trapped in the hotel room because I won't be able to leave the bathroom. And I want to be able to spend that 16 hours a week with my daughter, not stuck in the bathroom. And um, so he had the surgery in July of 2020 um, recovery was a little rough for him because he was blown up in an IED blast in Afghanistan and he had a lot of exploratory surgeries and stuff done after that. So he had a lot of scar tissue. And so 
why they were in there doing the ostomy. Um, they were training some new doctors because that's what they do at the VA. And so they elected why they were in there. They were just going to show the students how to remove scar tissue and stuff while they were in there. And so that that just made his recovery a little more difficult and took a little longer than what it typically does. So when he first came home from getting the ostomy, he was in the hospital for five days. He was like, this is terrible. This is why I never wanted to get it done. This sucks. Why did I do this to myself? And then I would say about two months in after he healed up and we'd gotten into a routine with it, like now he says, I wasn't ready to do it before, but now I understand why you always wanted me to have it done. Like it completely changed our lives. Um, we change it once a week, takes me like 15, 20 minutes he empties it a couple times a day. Like it just drastically changed our lifestyle. Like we have so much time for activities now. Um, wow. And it feels, um, I know COVID and stuff, like nobody's really going anywhere or doing anything, but like, it's just so crazy now. Like if someone called us up and said, Hey, on Thursday, we want to have a cookout at 3 p.m. We wouldn't have to be like, oh, no, we can't come. Like, we could be like, yes, we could totally come. Like, because before we'd always have to sit out of things or show up to things late or leave things early. And like, now we, we're not a slave to the bathroom anymore. And it's very freeing. This is so important, this story, Ashley, because uh, the first thing I think of when you're talking about this is like, I'm like getting outside of myself for a second and pretending like I don't understand what it's like to arrange your life according to going to the bathroom. Um, people don't understand, like people who aren't living this life, people who are friends and family, they don't understand this. They don't understand how something that they take for granted, going to the bathroom, taking a poo, <laughs> um, they don't even, they're not even present for it. They, they, they just go to the bathroom and then they're done. But for people like us in our community, you literally have to plan your life around going poo and pee. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing this because four hours every second day, I mean, that is, in, that is so long. That is so much commitment to just going poo. I mean, it's insane. And I, I feel like that's yeah. part of this awareness piece of WAGS of SCI and why we wanted you on the podcast so badly is because you're so open and honest about this. Um, and it's really important. So thank you for, for sharing that. The number of people we've had asked, can't he just skip a day or can't he just go at a different time? And I'm like, <laughs> do you not know the stuff that will cause in our life for like days to come afterwards? No, no, we can't. Sorry. Well, and the spontaneity too of like how friends will be like, Hey, do you want to meet for a walk um, in half an hour? It's like, well, no, like, or like, I remember when we went on vacation with our, with our friends um, for our wedding and I would wake up two hours before everybody else to get his routine done so that they wouldn't see it. Right. So that we would just be ready to go and not inconvenience yeah. anybody and, then people don't see it. They don't, they don't know what it's like. Right. So I don't know. 
I'm kind of like that too. Like when, whenever we stay at like Dan's parents' house or whatever, um, that's, they have one bathroom that like all of us have to use. So we too, it's like, you have to give warning, like, Hey guys, like just, you know, like these are the days that we're going to be using the toilet, um, and doing like our program. And we, you almost have to like wake up earlier than everybody else and just do it not even like out of inconvenience for them but more like it's inconvenient for you when other people are up and around you so you can have your own privacy right it's like that little bit of like hey we need this space and for me it's kind of like a double-edged sword because I'm like you too like I I like to get it over with I don't like to be in people's way I don't like to inconvenience anybody I don't like people waiting around for us um because then that would require some special treatment and consideration but then on the other hand I'm like I kind of wish that this entire six-year period I would have been more in their face about how long it takes to do bowels and and actually have them waiting around so that they know what it's like and they're educated. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, ah, what do you do, (laughs) right? When we, like when I want to go do something, but I have to like, especially now that we have a baby and a stroller and a wheelchair, like things being wheelchair accessible are even more important now than they were before we had kids. Um, and people will be like, oh, it's just a little bit of gravel. And then you show up and it's like a half a mile of gravel. And you're like, these people have no idea how awful this is going to be for everyone involved. You know what I mean? Like, they just don't think people will plan trips and outings and things. And they'll be like, oh, it's accessible. We'll figure it out. And then you get there and you're like, did y'all miss the 15 steps up into the building? Like we can do a few steps, but 15 is a lot. Like we're all going to be tired and sweaty by the time we get him inside. You know what I mean? So people just, they don't think, they don't think about what doesn't affect them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. That's like when the pandemic started and people were using their feet to press handicap buttons on doors so they didn't have to use their hands. And all I could think was, oh, so it's okay for the person who needs that button to touch everyone else's germs because they didn't want to use their hand to press the button. That is like, I've never actually yeah. thought of that. That's so true. And I've seen that so many times. That is so true. I never even thought of that. And my husband uses those buttons. Wow. You you get new perspectives every day, right? Especially through COVID, I think I, um, now people are. I've I've heard people like comment being like, "Wow, um, this building doesn't have an accessible button. I don't want to touch the door." Or I've seen I've seen that too, like people kicking it with their feet, being like, "Ew, germs through COVID. I don't want to touch anything." But then they're kicking it with their feet. It's like what? <laughs> Well, you know what? The good news is maybe more places will install buttons like that so that they're easy for us to get into. But it's a sad, sad thing when um, something that is, you know, almost the norm now that you should have those buttons everywhere and people get out of it because it's expensive. Businesses don't want to do it. You know, they don't get fined for it. And our men have to suffer. Um, But now that COVID is affecting everybody, now maybe there'll be some progress, right? It's just like, okay. Thank you for joining us and for listening to part one of our interview with Ashley Lyrla. Next week, join us for part two, where we will be discussing Ashley's personal journey to conceiving her daughter, Liberty, via IVF. Stay tuned. 
Hey guys, let's take a moment to highlight a cause that is near and dear to our hearts. For the love of parking led by our ambassador, Rebecca Mina is an advocacy media outlet that focuses on creating awareness about disability access while also sharing access to important information from our community. For the Love of Parking encourages their followers to tag them in any access barriers or issues in order to add to the virtual diary that is being created for the end goal of updating ADA laws. Head over to the website where they have tons of great information, including medical grade percussors. In fact, both of us use them for ourselves and our partners. Percussors help to reduce inflammation, move the lymph, help with spasms. They also assist in bowel and bladder care and so much more. Did I mention that it makes massage easier on our hands? Use code WAGS of SCI on the website for a discount. You can like and follow For the Love of Parking on Facebook and Instagram and use hashtag don't park like a punk. The advocacy and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website, wagsofsci.com, or donate directly to the Wags of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.